Welcome back to the Midwifery Wisdom Podcast, where we share stories, guidance, and essential conversations for the modern midwife. Today's episode is a special one. We're joined by our wonderful co-host, Angela Love. She sits down to talk with Jordan Tucker, her partner in her midwifery practice. Angela and Jordan guide us through an insightful discussion centered around sustainability in midwifery. They start by talking about the three pillars of midwifery Augustine always shares, safe, sacred, and sustainable, and then dive into burnout, practicing as a team, taking time off as a midwife, and so much more. So whether you're a seasoned midwife or a new student, this episode has something for you. Let's jump in. Hello, hello, beloved community. This is Angie Love, and I am so excited to be with you today. I'm here with Jordan Tucker, my midwife partner. Hi. And uh, it's so good to see everybody. And today we're going to talk about a big theme of midwifery, um, sustainability. And we're going to give an example of our practice model and how that works. Uh, So first I wanted to welcome Jordan. And she's my midwife partner. I'm so excited. We've been um, working together in the birth world for almost two years. So I feel like we've gotten to know each other well. So why don't you introduce yourself, Jordan, maybe talk about your path to midwifery and some of your passions? Yeah, so I'm Jordan. As Angie said, I've been working with her for the past two years. I started off as a student um, in her practice, and we morphed into a lovely partnership. Um, Some of my passions, um, you know, passions, hobbies are centered around herbalism. Um, I do a lot of foraging and wild crafting. I spend a lot of time making tinctures and salves and, you know, things, herbal healing modalities. I have a few hobbies. Uh, Also, you know, spending time outside. I really like to slow down time being out in nature camping, canoeing, going on nature walks. Um, And my path into midwifery started, I like to say it started way back in the day when I was a preschool teacher. Um, That's something that I start my story a lot with when people ask, you know, how did you become a midwife? Because it is is a, a special job to have. So oh, people yeah. do ask about that quite a bit. How how do you even think of that? So starting off as a preschool teacher, I really spent a lot of time working with families and their children. I was in the baby room for a while and then morphed into the toddler toddler room where a lot of people were starting to have their second child, maybe a third child, you know, just adding on to their family, um, really talking about the trials and tribulations of that process of expanding. And then I went into, you know, private family care, caretaking, you know, I became a nanny. So a few of my families were continuing to expand. 
And there was a family in particular that had a mom with a pregnancy that, um, you know, the, the baby wasn't developing the way that it should have been. I spent all of my time with them, you know, outside of, you know, taking care of one of their children, researching their options, really getting into the aspect of the type of pregnancy that she had. I, it just exploded, you know, something exploded inside of me, this passion um, where I felt like I needed to figure out the types of choices that they had, you know, and somebody had said along the line somewhere <clears throat> when I was a preschool teacher or a nanny, they just, you know, knew I loved babies and moms. And they said, why don't you become a midwife? And at that time, I just kind of brushed it off, um, which I think is something that a lot of us do when we're called to become a midwife. I think I looked into the school programs, thought it was too extensive and just left it be. And then after this family had their baby, it just kept replaying in my head. Why don't you become a midwife? Why don't you become a midwife? So yeah, that's when I started doula work. I started doula work about two years prior to midwifery school. Um, not because I wanted to, you know, immediately like dip my toes in or something like that and see if I even wanted to, I immediately knew I wanted to become a midwife, but I wanted to also experience birth before I started the entire program. And yeah, so that was my path into midwifery school and path into midwifery. Yeah. The, the school in general is an entire path in itself. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, something I've always loved about you, Jordan, is just your calm energy. I think that suits uh, midwifery perfectly, that you are able to be empathetic and to be a calm presence in the room. And when you have that calm presence, it, it enables you to be able to think clearly in emergencies um, versus someone who gets flustered easily. So I think you're one of the best, if not the best, um, students that I've ever preceptored, and I'm very happy to have you on the team. Um, one question for you, what is wild crafting? Why, okay, so wild crafting is uh, grabbing the things that you foraged and creating other things with it. So um, I've made bug spray and jellies and um, different recipes out of the things that I've foraged out in the wild. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, so you went to the school in Florida that's accredited, Florida's uh, Traditional School of Midwifery, FSTM, right? Yes. Okay. Um, and what are some things that you love about birth or being a midwife? Yeah, so things that I love about birth, aside from everything, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, is really just the right to choose, you know? Um, being able to create a space where someone has a voice when they're feeling like they don't, when they're feeling they're most vulnerable, they can, we can actually help cultivate a space where 
they can speak up. Um, and that not even for the birthing person, but even for their partners as well, you know, um, how many times have we had partners speak up and say, Hey, you know, is this normal? Is this what we're supposed to be doing? Um, you know, Hey, she wanted this instead. And just to be able to, to have that space and hold that space where our clients actually feel, feel welcome to, to speak up is what I love the most about birth. And Beautiful. Yeah. And I think that you've taught me um, a number of things about consent and about creating that safe space. And so I feel like my practice has been better with you in it. Um, yeah. So today we want to talk some about sustainability. And if you ever hear Augustine talk, she'll talk about three pillars of midwifery practice and that we should be safe, we should be sacred, and we should be sustainable. So I thought I'd briefly talk about those and then go into different practice models. Um, obviously, everyone wants midwifery to be safe. We want healthy moms, healthy babies, healthy families to the extent that we can help in that process. Obviously, there are some things in birth that are not guaranteed, but the safety comes through our experience, through our knowledge, through us monitoring the baby and mom throughout labor, um, from us knowing what is normal and what is not normal. So providing that safe environment to keep people safe. Obviously, we want to keep midwifery sacred. We want to recognize the sacredness of birth and that this is a very special experience for the family, welcoming a new soul. And we want to do the things that the family wants to help keep this sacred. And then the third part is sustainability. And that means being sustainable as a business and practice and able to keep your doors open. That means sustainability for the midwife that she or he is able to keep doing this for a long, long time and not burn out. Um, so yeah, so those are the three pillars. So the first five years of my, uh, practice as a midwife, I was in a birth center down in Miami. I worked there for five years. There were five of us midwives. We did between 30, 30 to 40 births a month. We were quite busy. Um, my schedule at the end was the best schedule ever. It was Monday through Friday, nine to five. Plus I worked every Wednesday, 24 hours. And I worked every fourth Saturday. So pretty amazing schedule for a midwife. I had three weekends of the month completely off, you know, and I had most of my evenings off. And when I was off, I was off. So that was a very sustainable practice for the midwife. It was also safe. It was also sacred. However, there was not very much continuity of care. And what that continuity of care means for people is that they know their midwives well, who they're birthing with. Um, they build up that relationship throughout the pregnancy and they build up that trust. So I had that with some of the people who birthed with me, but some of the people who birthed with me, maybe I hadn't met them at all during the pregnancy, or maybe I had met them once or twice, you know, and I, I tried to provide as sacred as an environment I could, but there wasn't that continuity of care. So then I moved up here to Vero and started a home birth practice because there wasn't that person I could just go work at. So I did the first seven years in solo practice, and then I did three more years from 20 to 23 in solo practice. Um, and that 
obviously can be safe and can be sacred, but long-term, it does have decreased sustainability for midwives. And you will see that all across the country, not just in my practice, but a lot of times midwives burn out when they try to do it all by themselves. So it had great continuity of care. And some of the things, if someone's really interested in that model that I did to help make it more sustainable is to um, have one month off a year every summer is to take vacation. And I got better at boundaries. The longer I was in it, I got an office manager to help do other things in the practice like scheduling and billing and insurance. Um, and I took fewer clients. So I had I limited myself to three or four clients a month that were birthing with me. And I also took, as I'm getting, you know, older and uh, I took fewer primips. So I would have less long births. And some of that may have been a you know, discouraging for people. They would call me and want to be with me, but I was already full or they were prime up. So we kept them in mind. But if, you know, a second time or third time are called, I would choose them first. So it wasn't good for everybody. Certainly. Um, a lot of you know this, but for three years, 2017 to 2020, I did have a, another partner, Margot, and we did well together, but she burned out in three years. Um, she, we've talked about this on another podcast. She suffers from anxiety. And so the anxiety of birth was really getting to her. And she realized that she didn't want to be, you know, do the birth stuff for, for midwifery and she's doing well and working in doula coordination for healthy start. But yeah, so, and now here Jordan and I are, and we're working in a partner practice, which we'll get into our specific model in a little bit. Um, yeah, so I want to talk about some statistics and what burnout looks like. So there was this recent study, 2022, they said that 41% of midwives in their study had moderate levels of burnout, 41%, and 7% had high levels of burnout. So that's 48% of midwives were suffering from burnout. What does burnout look like? It can look like emotional exhaustion. It can look like depersonalization of the clients. It look, can look like being really cynical, not being efficient, not showing up to work. Um, what have you seen from the midwives you've been around, Jordan, of symptoms of burnout? Yeah, um, some symptoms of burnout I've seen um, would be, you know, not not going to a client's house right away when they call you. Uh, when they call you and they're ready for the midwife to be there and you, they've just, I've seen people just brush off the clients because they want to get some extra sleep. They had that dinner that they needed to finish. Um, and then having to rush to the client's house because baby's coming. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that's a big one that I've seen. Okay. Just not and you, might, and and you might notice that some midwives miss a lot of births. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and or some births are super quick and they are going to be missed because the baby's coming in 20 minutes. But, yeah. you know, there are some midwives when they get burnt out that they just, they wait too late. <laughs> yeah. And they, you know, sometimes, you know, you wait 
too long after a client calls you because they need support. Maybe they don't have a doula. Maybe they don't have a super supporting partner. And you get there and they're wanting to go to the hospital already. Yeah. Yeah. True. So we know as midwives that we give a lot of empathy in our job. We have a lot of emotional investment. I know that many days um, when I'm doing appointments in the office, I feel somewhat like a therapist. People do feel like it's a safe space. They're telling us their problems, their issues, their relationship stuff. And so we're there for them. We're listening. We're giving some tips if needed. Um, but it is a big emotional investment. It's not just the physical labor, but it's the emotional aspect, too, that we do really get emotionally invested in our clients. So um, I like to always bring up Call the Midwife, one of my favorite shows. It's on Netflix if anyone wants to watch. Um, and it's based off of the diaries of a real midwife in the UK. And I've read the books, too. They're great. Three books. But Call the Midwife, it's following these midwives, 1950s, 60s, over in the UK. And I love the intro statement. She has different flashes up there from her diary. And one of them is, why did I ever start this? <laughs> because Jenny, the midwife in the book, she's asking herself, why did I ever start this? And I think any midwife who's been a midwife for a while after a really long, hard birth thinks about this you know, thinks about how hard this job is. And there are so many easier jobs that you could get paid the same or more from, you know, with the brilliant minds that midwives have. Um, but midwifery is a calling, you know? And so you get charged up again, you get re-energized and you go, but it's not the easiest of jobs. And I do precept students. I do even sh let high school st students shadow me and one of them asked me this week, um, if you could go over and do it all over again, would you become a midwife? And I said, that's such a hard question. <laughs> she also asked me, like, what are the challenges of my job? And I'm like, it, this is not the easiest job. So if you want to do it, you really got to be called. You really got to have a passion for it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so if go ahead. To do it all over again, It it's like do we have the option to do it all over again? I think we'd end up just being midwives at the end of it anyway. <laughs> yeah. 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 Whenever I have those hard births, I always come back to the place of we need a ton more midwives. You know, our community, our clients need us. I really feel like we're doing important work. And, you know, I feel like I'm a good midwife. So I've been doing this a long time. I've been doing it for 19 years. So inevitably, one day I will have to quit. But I do feel like what I'm doing is a service to our community. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about our current practice model. Um, I can tell everyone that Jordan and I love attending births together. So mm -hmm. a lot of times, most of our clients are getting two of us at their birth, so two lovely midwives. Um, it comes really helpful when we have those nice, long, hard births. So those might be first-timers, primeps, or might be VBACs, um, and we can break it up. So one person can go and do a shift of 8 or 12 hours, and the next person can go and do a shift, and the other person can go home and rest. So 
it makes it more sustainable that we have that energy to keep giving to the clients. Yes. Yes. Um, and when someone's in solo practice and they don't have that partner, the doula can come in handy, the birth assistant can come in handy, a senior student can come in handy, but it's not the same. No. You know, and if you have a long, hard birth with just a solo practice midwife, that midwife's going to be really tired by the end, you know, and the end of the birth is it's the most important part <laughs> to be alert and energetic for because most of birth for the midwife, I would say, is pretty long, you know, and boring. Um, and then you have 10 minutes, maybe 20 minutes of excitement and intensity where babies coming out, babies could get stuck, women could bleed too much, you know, mm -hmm. so that's that 10, 20 minutes. We got to be, you know, really alert, really exciting, make sure everything is doing well, baby's breathing nicely after the birth, right? How would you describe it? Yeah, I, it's, you know, exactly how you said it. You got to be excited. You got to be on top of it and alert. Um present you it, those moments are fueled by a lot of adrenaline mm -hmm. <laughs> for sure so even when you are at your most tired you do seem to find that that ability to muster yourself or pull yourself together and and just be in the moment um, but you you do end up missing things when you're overly exhausted I mean, any that that can happen to anyone. Yes, we are human beings, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, and so I think having a two midwife model is safer than just one midwife, you know, because you do have that capability of tag teaming that you don't have with one midwife. Um, there might be another midwife in your community that you could call for a backup in that situation. But she may be at another birth, might not be available. It's just, it's not the same, you yeah. know? So being that we are human, um, I think it's good to realize that midwives deserve some days off, you know? Um, we have birthdays. Our children have birthdays. We get sick occasionally, might need a sick day. We, our kids might have a performance at school and we might need vacation, and I know that pregnant women don't always like to hear that, but yes, we do need days off as well. Yeah. <laughs> we need days off. We need an extra person there. I mean, how many times have we heard, well, I just want my midwife and my partner there. I don't, I don't, well, uh, are you sure you have to bring a birth assistant? How yeah. you know? <laughs> Yeah. And if every birth goes totally perfect, then one might be okay. However, when the exciting part of birth is happening, a lot could be going on at once. You could have yeah. a stuck baby and need to call 911. You could have a baby that needs resuscitation and a mom that's bleeding out. You know, yeah. you can have multiple issues. So attending birth with two people really is the safest. And some practices, they like three people. Yeah. You know, and so I think a better way to think about birth is that everyone there has a function, you know, and so ha having a midwife and a birth assistant is like the bare minimum that I like to do. And having two midwives there is, is amazing. 
you know, I'm really glad you brought that up. And sometimes people say that if they've had hospital births and they're used to people really disturbing the energy or being bothersome. But I think if people have been in home birth for a while, most of us have learned birth etiquette, how to be a calm, unobtrusive presence, how not to bother women, how not to ask them questions during a contraction, um, and really respect the birth flow. So I know Ina May talks about, you know, being a, a midwife in the corner and knitting, which for me is not good for my fingers, uh, but just like being a presence in the room, but not being annoying or, you know, staring at a woman. Yeah. You know. I really like Anne Fry's um, big purple birth book. Um, and she has a whole chapter on birth etiquette. I love that. Yeah. Have you read that? No, I have not. Um, my first preceptor taught me birth etiquette very quickly. <laughs> and <laughs> you know, it was, it was very effective. At first there were times where my feelings were hurt because I didn't think I was doing anything wrong, but I very quickly learned to just kind of back off. You know, you don't need to be in the immediate space and stepping into midwifery as a midwife you know, you do kind of need to be in the space pretty frequently, but especially as a birth assistant, um, you know, assisting the midwife, being that extra person, unless you're playing the doula role and you want to be there for every contraction, rubbing the back, if that's what the client wants, um, st sitting in the far corner and just waiting, waiting for what the midwife needs is, is a part of the birth etiquette. <laughs> it's yeah. really Kind of pretending like no one's in labor right now and just go sit in the corner. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the simple things people may not even think about in birth etiquette is trying to be never be higher than the birthing person. Mm -hmm. So if the birthing person is in a tub, not standing around the tub. Yes. Getting yourself in a chair, getting yourself on the floor so you're not towering over anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's going to make her feel more powerful and less watched, less invasive, you know. Okay, so some of the things that we like to do in our practice currently are get our clients to do appointments with each of us. Um, and that way they feel very comfortable with both of us. And hopefully they'll be one of the 80% that they get to see both of our smiling faces at the birth. And if they don't, they feel great with either one of us. Um, and so I think that's important. We also have staff meetings um, where we review our client list. We go over any concerns or issues that they have. So we're all on the same page about what's going on with all of our clients. And realizing that we are a team, we bring different tools, different strengths that we bring to the table. Um, so I would say Jordan brings um, more energy, more excitement, you know, towards birth because, you know, she's really excited to be a midwife and happy about it. I would say that I I've been doing this for 19 years. So a normal, regular birth is not super exciting for me anymore, to be honest. It's great yeah. and it's sacred for that family. I understand that. But. You know, it's very normal for me. 
I get excited when I have a twin birth or when I have a breech birth, you know, or something exciting like that. But, you know, I bring some experience and some wisdom, but not all of that excitement. You ground me a lot when it comes to that. You know, you, you keep me grounded instead of me, you know, floating around here all happy and excited to to be this new midwife and go see all these births and, you know, kind of be in that charging role and you bring a sense of hey take a step back and and look at the real picture here you know don't be so excited that you're gonna be you're in the midwife role let's let's actually pay attention to the picture and make sure everything's safe and um yeah i i I always appreciate that grounded presence (laughs) oh thank you i think you're pretty grounding too (laughs) So, I think both of us work pretty well together. Um, Anything you want to add about our practice model and how we're doing things? Yeah. um, I love that you and I give ourselves an allotted time each month to, to take, to take to ourselves, you know, um, on top of the months that we have off. I think that the sustainability when it comes to having, time off call is really important it's something that was really important to me even as a student is to be able to have time a time where you can say this is my time um when you start midwifery school and midwifery in general everyone around you will tell you that midwifery you're a midwife that's who you are um, in actuality, yes, I once a midwife, always a midwife. I think, you know, with the ability to even reincarnate, we'd come back and still find ourselves being a midwife in some sort of way. And I also like to keep in mind that, no, that's not your identity. That's that's not 100% who you are. And yes, your children and your loved ones, they're allowed to come first before your clients. And with a two midwife or at least practice, um, the ability to be able to do that, to show up for your family and, you know, show up for yourself, even being able to take a day of self-care is incredibly important. Um, it It's something that I was really passionate about that I was kind of told that you couldn't have. Um but you can have that and you should have that or else you are going to get burnt out really quickly. Um, I respect Angie for, for having her practice (laughs) so, you know, completely held up really just by, by herself and Becky. Um, But Ultimately, you're the one that's on call. You're the one taking the phone calls, going to the houses, going to the home visits, filling out the paperwork, charting, doing all of that all at once, all of the time. Um, That is a hard, that's a hard thing to do. And it's really just to show up for your community. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. When, When people think about midwives, like the lay people, they think midwifery is such a great job. Oh my God, you get to see this miracle of birth and this beautiful baby. I think the birth we were at yesterday, 
you know, the the grandma says that to us, the best job in the world. And there are parts of it that are yes, like that. And then there are other parts that are definitely not the best job in the world, but part of the job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so you have this this roller coaster of up and down. Um, you also have to be with people when, you know, when they miscarry or they learn that their baby does have some hard diagnosis, you know, or they're dealing with um, a birth outcome or a transfer or something that they did not plan for that they did not want. So there are a lot of hard parts of midwifery too. Yes. Yeah. Are, is there anything you've seen in other practices that you've precepted with or just been a part of um, that you felt were really sustainable or really unsustainable? Um, when it comes to the aspect of sustainability, I really like the practices that allow, you know, their, their midwives that have young children to attend clinic and births, you know, as long as they're able to be wrapped around your body, especially mm -hmm. when um, it's an important aspect that we preach to our clients, you know, to be able to have a good nursing relationship, a good relationship with your baby. Uh, we don't live in a country that allows us to take, you know, um, months of paid leave. So we, we don't really have much of a, and even as a midwife, I don't think that paid leave would serve our communities very well. So we would be back to work quicker. And uh, I think that that's something that I have found sustainable in other practices yeah uh, and and I did that when I had Zoe and I also have allowed students to do that that um they could bring their baby with them for the first six months or until the baby started crawling because then mm -hmm. the baby starts getting into you know yeah. things in the office <laughs> um and for the clients that were birthing I put a little line on the birth um plan form that I passed them out um are you okay with me bringing the baby with me to your birth or mm -hmm. would you prefer I leave the baby at home? And in the whole six months that I brought Zoe to birth, only one person said that they wanted me to leave Zoe at home. Yeah. And so it was always beautiful. You know, sometimes Zoe would be on my back, but many times she would be just asleep while the baby was coming or maybe a grandma would be holding her, you know, or an assistant or whatever. And it always, it always worked out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love. Uh, yeah, and I think that that is a good model that most midwife practices should have. I mean, people love being around babies. The pregnant women are going to love seeing babies and seeing how they are and modeling that nursing and that attachment. Um, and when I think it was the WIC, either WIC or Healthy Start Office, when they were doing like um, surveys of the breastfeeding policies we had, they gave me a little award for being a breastfeeding friendly workplace. And I'm like, well, hopefully, I mean, we got to be modeling this for any other workplace, you yeah. know, that would be available. So what else? Yeah. Have you seen anything else you found really sustainable or unsustainable? Um, one other thing I found sustainable for practices that, you know, may not agree with the the model of, you know, 
if you have several midwives in your practice and your client wants you specifically, um, you know, some midwives, they, they, they like that. They, they want to be that complete single person for that birthing person. Sometimes we cultivate relationships where we can't say no. Right. Um, so what I've seen in other practices or one other practice was they were able to charge the client extra to be on call for just them. Okay. Um, so that they could guarantee or, you know, almost guarantee their presence at their birth. Um, I think sometimes just being able to say, because, you know, midwives are often underpaid, um, to be able to say to a client that, yes, I can be there for you. I'm going to put down that boundary that I, I've been trying to uphold for a long time, um, but I'm going to need something in return. Um and more money is is always great for for midwives who don't exactly make a whole lot. Definitely, so, yeah. yeah. And that's one of the things I did um, when my last partner left me, and I was so sad. And oh my goodness, how am I going to go on doing this? I was so enjoying the partner. Mm-hmm. I made a decision to raise my rates. Yeah, you know, and so I'm like. If I'm going to keep doing this, I'm going to need a little bit more money to keep doing it because otherwise I can go out and do something else. And I uh, I raised my rates. And for people making a good income, they pay my regular rate. And I do have a sliding scale based on income. So people who have a lower income can still um, have a home birth. And we do have a scholarship program for BIPOC folks if they can't afford to pay anything. Um, so we, we have that in place, but that definitely helped me stay with midwifery when I had those long, hard bursts and, oh my God, I could be doing something else. (laughs) Okay. But I'm doing okay. And I'm paying my bills. Yeah. No. And so if some midwife is out there and thinking about, oh, I should just quit this, try raising your rates. That might improve your morale for a little while. (laughs) The other thing off that I've also done is taken sabbaticals. So I've taken two sabbaticals other than maternity leave um, where I would take at least two or three months off from births. Um, I did sabbaticals um, for like a year, twice in my midwifery career. And then I'd come back and be refreshed and renewed. And yeah. I'm on a, little, a lot of midwifery chat groups. And sometimes she'll come up there and some middle will be like, I'm thinking about quitting. <laughs> And it's very understandable, but some midwives will offer the good advice. Why don't you just take a sabbatical for a year? See how you feel. Don't let your license lapse. You know, you might find in a year that you're ready to come back or change your practice a little bit. And so the other things that I've seen are people that are really burnt out on the birth, being on call, the long nights. Some midwives start lactation practices where they're just helping people nurse. Some people start um, prenatal care only practices where they're not doing births. Maybe the people are planning hospital births, but they'll provide all the prenatal care, maybe some postpartum care. Um, so there are options of staying in midwifery without doing the long nights and the births. Yeah. Um, although those are parts that are really needed. <laughs> yeah. You know, we need more midwives all around the U.S. Um we we need them. There there are so many places now, especially 
um, even hospitals that are shutting down their labor and delivery units and leaving complete deserts when it comes to um, perinatal care. And not to say that, you know, it, it, that all midwives, you know, need to absolutely be going to birth because when you do need a sabbatical, you need a sabbatical. Um, but that, that's a, a good point to make, you know, instead of debating on quitting and, and just taking yourself out of midwifery completely, being able to offer even a fraction of what you've been able to offer so that people don't have to drive two, three hours for prenatal care. Um, mm -hmm. Some people don't have the ability to do that. So being able to even offer prenatal care only, postpartum care only, um, is something that's that's important uh, that might keep might keep you in midwifery too. <laughs> you know, you might yeah. be back actually. These maternity care deserts are a big topic because a lot of our hospitals in this country are all for profit. And in a lot of places, more than half of the women are on Medicaid, which does not pay a lot for births. And so their labor and delivery areas are actually losing money. And you would think all the hospital realizes they're doing a good service by helping the babies get born. But many of these for-profit Hospitals are not run by care providers. They're run by business people. And they're like, if we're not making a profit, slash it. And the L&D unit gets cut. And then the women don't have anywhere to go birth if they wanted a hospital birth. And maybe they're doing home birth. Maybe they're doing unassisted births. Maybe they're trying to drive three hours in labor. Um, but that is the future unless we can get other, some other system of health care. And yeah, midwives are really, we need a ton more midwives to take care of all of the pregnant people um, here in the U.S. and lots of other places around the world. Wow. Did you hear that? We need a ton more midwives. At our Midwifery Wisdom Experience this past week, we learned that midwives are serving about 1.4% of pregnant and birthing women in the United States. 1.4%. There are so many communities across the United States and even around the world where there just are not enough care providers for pregnant women. Hey listener, if you're not already a midwife, have you ever thought about becoming one? Okay, okay, that's a big question. You might be thinking, what kind of midwife would I want to be? What pathway would I take to get there? How would I know my responsibilities as a midwife? How would I juggle my life? Enter Pathways to Midwifery. This midwifery wisdom course, led by the incredible Kimberly Haynes, is designed to support you as you navigate your way into the world of midwifery. Whether you're just learning about the career of midwifery or have decided that this is the calling for you, this course is the perfect step to help you make some big decisions and get you going on the right path for you. For more information, visit the school page on the Midwifery Wisdom website or check in our show notes for a direct link. So part of that is retaining the midwives that we have. And how do we retain them? We make practice models that are sustainable. Yeah. You know, I know before that this practice opened up in Indian River, 
there wasn't another home birth practice here for at least 30 years. I don't know. I don't know when the last home birth practice was here, if ever. Um, and so that we're going right now on 13 years strong here in this county. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, I definitely feel like I have another probably another 10 years in me at least for attending births. We'll see how it goes year by year. The average age of retirement here in America is 62 and I'm 56. And a lot of people retire before they even think they're going to because of health reasons. You know, mm -hmm. we all w hope that we're going to be healthy and working until we're 70, but no one can guarantee that, you know. So um, any other um, tips or tricks you want to give out to other midwives around the country looking for sustainable practices? Um, probably stop doing prenatal home visits. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to bring that up too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that That's something that I see that is simply not sustainable no shade to any of the midwives that offer that that is an amazing selfless service there but it's something i can't even fathom driving mm -hmm. all around town all of the time for prenatal home visits that's a lot that's a big task when you have more than four people do every month yeah you're on call you need to sleep you have your normal office days ultimately you're gonna find yourself working a nine to five plus a five to nine <laughs> you know yeah. you're just all the time um and people are willing to come to your office you know there there are many many practices out there it might not be the complete midwifery model of care but traditional OB practices, you don't you don't find an OB coming to someone's house. Mm -hmm. Period. So I think that that's something that, you know, if you're feeling burnt out and you're offering prenatal home visits, maybe give that a shot. Just have people come to your office instead. Yeah. And I can say for me... I'm not someone who likes to build up tons of debt. So when I started out my home birth practice in this county, um, at first I did office visits in my sister's office, who's a dentist. So I saw people there in the evenings and weekends. And then I got another house that I rented um, that had like an enclosed carport with its separate little entrance and a separate bathroom. And so I did appointments there. That was my office, but I also lived there um, for a while until my two-year-old started pounding on the door. Let me in, let me in. <laughs> but, um, you know, starting off, a lot of midwives will see people in their house, you know, and so it's not their house. They're coming to you. You're saving on gas. You're saving your time. And ultimately, the midwife's time is very, very valuable. Yes. You know, um, because for us, for example, we do an hour radius of our office. So that's an hour either way. That's like three or four different counties. 
And if we were driving around and seeing all these people prenatally, I mean, we'd be wasting all of our time and all of our gas. Yeah. Yeah. Not that efficient. It's not. <laughs> no. And the other thing that we've offered to kind of bridge the gap for sometimes people really don't want to come to the office is we also do telehealth appointments. So some of our appointments kind of need to be in person because we're drawing blood or doing a pap smear or something. But then other of them, they're in the middle of the pregnancy and maybe the mom has her own Doppler and we can do a virtual visit, talk about all our educational topics, talk about how she's feeling, but we don't actually need to be in person. So like some of our clients who live like right at an hour away and have a couple kids and don't want to drive up here, they'll do half in person, five, mm -hmm. you know, maybe five prenatal visits in person and then five telehealth, yep. you know. And obviously, if something's coming up, we might have them come to the office for another time. But if everything's going pretty normal, that's another way to make your clients happy, <laughs> but also stay sustainable and not lose your mind as a midwife. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I think as community midwives, um, we tend to be flexible. We tend to be innovative and creative people that deal with situations. And so that's kind of like what I think you have to do with your practice model figure out the areas that are really depleting you and delegate those or change those up and keep doing the parts that you really love. Yeah. Yeah. A big step for me also was getting that office person. Um, instead of thinking that I have to do everything and stay on top of everything is I don't like billing. I don't like insurance stuff. You know, I want to pass that to somebody else and let them handle it, yeah. you know, and handling all of our faxing and handling all of our prescription refill requests and just things that I don't need to be involved with frees up that part of my mind to not burn out. Yeah. Yeah, it's worth it. If anyone is considering, if you're doing at least three or four births a month, you should be considering having an office person. I would say the ideal office person for a midwife would be a mom, someone who believes in home birth, so really is passionate about the job, you know, and maybe has kids in school and their kids are in school nine to three. And so they only want to work nine to three and might mm -hmm. even want a day or two off a week. So like that kind of person can be employed, can really get to know and love your business and help sustain it. Um, and it, it saves, it's wonderful. It's a win-win. <laughs> Thank God for Becky. Thank God for Becky. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that was the best idea ever I, I ever did was to hire Becky. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Well, um, we had a great birth yesterday. And uh, I came into the birth a little exhausted because... I had not slept well the night before and Jordan was there and able to let me take a nap in the back room. And uh, when our energy drains, I can pop in. And then she had to run off and do some office appointments and I was able to stay and finish up postpartum. So, I mean, it was a beautiful illustration of how, how having two midwives helped our practice run really smoothly. Yeah, it was beautiful. I, you know, when we have the both of us there, at the birth, it's nice to be able to also look at the chart after 
the birth is done and you just got home after running the errands you were supposed to run that day and the charge's done. <laughs> you Yay. know? Yeah. Just the little things like that, not having to have that extra thing to do at the end of the day is, is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Feeling like someone's got your back and that if you needed a sick day, that everything is not going to collapse. Yes. You know, I think midwives deserve that. If you can find another midwife who wants to work with you. Um, and I think a great practice model is pairing a uh, younger, fresher midwife with a more experienced one because there it's going to be a learning experience for both. You know, the younger, fresher midwife is going to get some more wisdom and tricks of the trade from the older one. And the older one is going to get the newest research and some of the newest ideas from the fresher midwife because they've been out of school for 19 years and didn't realize, oh, we're supposed to be doing it this way. Or, oh, this is the new thing we're supposed to be doing. It keeps the older midwife from getting stuck in her ways <laughs> and staying current with everything that's going on. So it's really a win-win in my book. Yeah, I, I think uh, with the newer midwives, too, um, coupling with more experienced midwives, it's important because it ends up lowering your transfer rate also. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I can think of a handful of times that I may have transferred simply because I didn't really know what was what it was that I was looking at, things that you don't really see often that you don't learn about in school. Um, that, you know, the first thing you think of, because when you, you're in school, you learn when in doubt, just transfer, <laughs> transfer, refer, um, consult, you know, at, as home birth midwives, you don't have a whole list of people that you can just consult when it comes to pediatricians and it comes to OBs, you know, you don't have people that will just hop on the phone with you and have a conversation and tell you that, oh yeah, it's safe to stay home for that. Um, Oh, yeah, it looks like this. No, they're going to tell you to go to the hospital. So being able to have a midwife that did see that, and yeah, it, it's fine. That's, you know, just a variation of normal there. Um, mm -hmm. Really beautiful thing, too. And I think it benefits our clients overall. Definitely, definitely. And we all bring different knowledge and, and wisdom to the table. So, I mean, that's the beauty of it. Um, Yeah. So I'm really glad that we're working together and I hope that all the midwives out there can find a partner midwife to be with and work out models that are sustainable for them so they can keep practicing midwifery forever, forever, forever. <laughs> right. Um, and even if they can't find that midwife and they are in solo practice, remembering that you deserve vacation. And the way that I've done that vacation when I've been in solo practice is that I would take about six weeks a year that I did not accept any due dates. I announced it on my website. Everybody knew July was my month off. If you're having a baby in July, you're not going to see my face there. And so that was what I announced. It became kind of known. Now, obviously, not everyone's using birth control. So some people are just going to be disappointed. But I maintained my boundaries. And I would usually start planning that vacation and have some travel plans in place so that my boundaries were good, you know. And I was a totally different midwife in June 
than I was in August. I came back in August, refreshed, renewed, loving people, loving life, smiling, less bags under the eyes, you know, and every midwife deserves that time off. So what I did during the the month that I wasn't actually in town is I had a midwife from another town over do some prenatals for me. She could do prenatals in my office. She could do prenatals in her office and I'd pay her per prenatal and I paid her a little bit for taking phone calls. Um, and that's how we worked it out. And that's how I was able to do solo practice, you know, for 10 years. Um, so if anyone's out there and, and feeling burnt out, take some vacation. I think that hospital births would be so much better if those OBs were taking a month off every year. If those okay. nurse midwives in the hospital were taking all their vacation time, you need that to recharge. You need that time for that brain to decompress because when you are a midwife, you are juggling so many plates. We actually had one of my clients, you know, ask me the other day, oh, do you have anyone else due for my month? And they seriously uh, somehow in their mind thought that they were the only person due for their whole month, which, you know, sometimes pregnant people are, you know, just thinking about themselves. They're, you know, and I'm like, actually, I do. And they're like, oh, how many? I'm like, it really doesn't matter to you because I won't be there for you. But yeah, we're juggling all the plates. We're juggling all these families. We're juggling all these health histories and these potential issues, you know, how the birth's going to go. You know, so taking the time to decompress your mind is very valuable and safe and sustainable. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Take vacation. Yes. Take the vacation. Don't doubt it. Take it every year. You deserve it because you're doing hard work, you know, and you want your empathy to stay around. You want to, re you know, retain that compassion. Um, you don't want to get grumpy. You don't want to get grumpy. No, no, Your no, no. That, yeah. Our clients love that we take a month off. I mean, uh, every time Angie has gone on vacation since I've been with her for her July month, people ask left and right, "Oh, how's Angie's vacation going? Oh, she really deserved that. Oh, wow, that's so nice to be able to just take some time. I'm sure I'm sure she's feeling really recharged now. You know, people people will love you for being your authentic self and taking care of yourself, you know. And we're, we're modeling self-care to new moms who sometimes get in the same habit of, of midwives of thinking they have to be superhuman. Yep. Super, super women. And we're modeling that it's okay to say, I'm, I'm not a superhuman. I am human and I deserve some self-care. I deserve some time. Moms deserve some days off. You know, so I think it's important for us to model that um, to our clients as well. Yeah. Yeah. We can't preach mental health and not have mental health ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Well, Jordan, I'm so happy we had this chance to get together and talk about our practice model and talk about sustainability. And I want to pray and encourage all of you midwives around the country and the world to find a model that is sustainable for you so you can keep on doing this a nice long time for everyone's daughters and granddaughters in the future. Thank you.